Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host once again for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or other healthcare provider, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Well, welcome to episode number 13, the lucky 13, the 13th episode of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. And today is going to be all about hiring and people management. In fact, it's going to be a book report of sorts. As you well know, we are voracious readers here at Polaris, and I know most of you in our audience are always asking us about book recommendations. I'm going to give you four of them today that we recommend to a lot of our clients and that we ourselves have read and benefited from tremendously. I know you're going to get a lot out of today's episode, so please get your pad and pen ready and obviously brew another cup of that awful Keurig coffee. We're ready to roll on the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. Welcome once again to the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. As I said in the introduction, today is a book report of sorts. We read a tremendous amount of literature here at Polaris. Most of it is self-help and business-related literature. Some of them are books that are more uh, uh, fiction-based or biographical in nature just to, uh, to get out of the business zone from time to time. But today's book report is going to be one where we unpack a, a bit of detail around four books that we tend to recommend to clients and that we have used ourselves here at Polaris. So putting this into practical application, we know works and I hope that you'll get a lot out of this. From time to time, we're gonna end up doing book reports here on the podcast, giving you recommendations and a reading list, things like that. It won't be monthly, obviously, but a couple of times a year based around um, concentrated subject matter, I'll say. And like I mentioned in the introduction, I chose to take today's episode and focus on hiring and people management. Um, obviously, coming back out of COVID, this has been a um, uh, you know a significant focus for everybody based on some employment churn um, and obviously vaccinations and things along those lines. I'm not going to dig deep into that, but I am going to try to help you level set. Um, and give you some guidance off some pivotal pivotal books that we ourselves have read, like I said, and implemented uh, quite a few um, uh, of the recommendations in those books. And I know that they will work equally well for you. So the four books I'm going to talk about today, uh, and I will link to all of this in the show notes. Um, so if you don't catch all this in the first uh, pass, um, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the, the titles and the authors. The four books I'm going to recommend uh, and go through today, one is called Who, the A Method for Hiring. Who, W-H-O, the A Method for Hiring. The authors are Jeff Smart, and Jeff is G-E-O-F-F -F, Smart, and Randy Street 
Um, this is a great book that we read a number of years ago, really gives a lot of insight into recruiting. Going to unpack some of that for you. The second book is called The Ideal Team Player by Patrick Lencioni. Pat Lencioni is a founder of something called a table group, uh, and they have, he has written a number of great books around uh, people, um, teams, leadership, uh, things along those lines, and really has just a, a great delivery. Most of his books are fables, meaning they tell a story to illustrate the point, then they unpack it. So it's typically an easier read. And the ideal team player was a game changer for us a number of years ago. I actually read this book back in the Patterson days. So it's probably about um, six or eight uh, years ago for me uh, personally. The third book is called Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. And Dan is the founder uh, of Strategic Coach. Strategic Coach is an entrepreneurial coaching organization, or they focus on entrepreneurs, excuse me, and I am one of their students. I've been in Strategic Coach for, I guess this is my third year now, and Dan, uh, from a philosophical standpoint, um, is an unbelievable um, industry light, honestly. I've gotten so much out of being in that program, and the Who Not How book is um, a significant, uh, significantly different way of looking at people and entrepreneurial growth. The fourth book is called Ownership Thinking. Ownership Thinking. And the author's name is Brad Hams, H-A-M-S, just like a ham sandwich, Brad Hams. Ownership Thinking deals more with incentive plans and the, the shift um, from entitlement to enlightenment, if you will, for employees. Uh, and we do, a, Walker and I do a lot with this in our consulting program as we talk about um, incentives and, and structures for some of your staff. I know we've talked a lot about associate equity and things like that, executive equity recently. This is a little bit different from that. These are more bonus and incentive plans, but it's a great, great book to read. And I'll give you all the specifics around that. So those are the four. And I think that taking them in that order will help you start to bookend and build your own process around recruiting and incentivizing uh, your employees. So let's take it first from the top. Who the A method for hiring by Jeff Smart and Randy Street. There's an old saying in business, um, and you may have heard this before, that A players hire A players and B players hire C players. And if you really think about that, a hire a players hire a play, a players hire a players, excuse me, and B players hire C players. This is how we end up with mediocrity in organizations. And I think stressing that you're really after a players uh, is is the key, and not settling for B or God forbid C players. So the opening line to the book, who the A method for hiring is the following. Who is your number one problem, not what? And I think that really encapsulates it perfectly. If you, this goes back to the Jim Collins adage. If you get the right people on the bus and get them in the right seats, they're going to solve a lot of the issues or preempt the issues from happening for you proactively. And that's, that's really key. Who is your number one problem, not what? You all know what you're doing 
in terms of building group practices, at least for the most part. One of the biggest keys is getting the right people on board in your organization and certainly for those key roles that they're going to fill. So SMART and Street define an A player as someone who's in the top 10% of the candidates that you interview and also has a 90% chance to achieve the outcomes that you define. So if you think about that and think about it really clearly, this is the best of the best. These are the A players. And they go through the process of um, deselecting or weeding out uh, those that don't meet the top 10% in terms of candidates you interview um, or you screen. Uh, and then certainly focusing on the person that has the greatest probability to achieve the outcomes that you define for that role, a 90% or greater chance to achieve them. So they've developed something called the A method. Again, it's in the, the title of the book. And the A method uh, it comes down to, to basically four components to it. There's a scorecard piece. There's a source or a sourcing piece. There's a selection piece. And there's a selling piece to it. The scorecard is reflective of the mission, vision, and values of your organization and the specific outcomes that are linked to those mission, vision, and values as you define them for the role. This is really one of the most critical pieces of, of communicating clearly to candidates while you are um, interviewing them and, and recruiting them to a great degree is that you're clear on what your mission, vision, and values are as an organization, what you hold dear and, and the why behind what you do, but in the role that they're going to play, how are those outcomes that you want them to achieve linked to that mission, vision, and values? And I think that's a critical key component across different roles within the organization, but having that defined creates a lot of clarity even before you give them an offer. The next piece that I mentioned or that they mentioned in the A method is source or sourcing. Um, and they go through a lot of good examples around uh, referrals from existing A players, um, uh, using recruiters, and doing your, your own research. Uh, we find that there are far too many instances where people are hiring based on needs, meaning you had somebody that you had to fire or somebody left you, and now you're, you're starting the process to find their replacement. I got to tell you, if you get nothing more out of this entire episode, hear me on one thing, and that is in a growing business, and many of you are growing your group, recruiting is a constant endeavor. It should never, ever be based on needs. Recruiting should be a constant endeavor, either for you or your head of HR or your operations manager or VP of ops or leader. Certainly, this is something that you should be networking. You should always be asking your best employees, who do they know? Who's qualified for the job? Um, who would they refer into your business um, from a prospective employee standpoint? There are all sorts of Facebook groups and other viral marketing opportunities where you can find hygienists, assistants, office managers, 
uh, and even to a degree, some uh, associate dentists um, to network with when you don't have an opening. If I go back to my experience in the Patterson days, and as many of you know, I, I worked for Patterson for 15 years and ran three different businesses for them. I tried to have at least a cup of coffee or a sandwich or a meeting with one to two candidates, prospective candidates, every week for any level of the organization that I was running. And my goal was always to create in their mind the greatest image of the branch that I ran at Patterson and have them really die to try to get a job with us. I was a salesperson in that endeavor. I was always talking about the great things we had going on, what it was like to work there, all the benefits and the teamwork and, and really accentuating all the positive attributes of that organization and, and specifically the branch that I run ran. You should be doing the same thing. You should always be reaching out to people, trying to build that short list of those that would be a great fit. Um, that you can establish a personal bond with or, or grab a cup of coffee or a sandwich or something with them from time to time. That way, when you have a growth position that opens up, you know who you're going to fill it with. Or if you have to terminate somebody, you got two or three people already in mind who can replace them. And this is the way personnel management happens in a, in a growing organization. Recruiting has to be a constant endeavor for you and your leadership team it should never, ever be based on needs alone. Um, the next piece uh, that they talk about beyond scorecard and sourcing is selection or selecting. And they go through uh, an interview process that's really, really good, honestly. And it has four types of interviews to it. One is a screening interview where you're just basically trying to, to cut people who aren't gonna fit. Um, there's what they call the WHO interview, they have something called a focused interview. And the last piece is a reference interview. And those four types of interviews from screening to who to focus to reference, they really give you some good parameters around that. And you'll quickly see how those are, are part of a system or a process that leads you to an ideal outcome. All too often people I find sit down with a, a prospective candidate to interview them and kind of make it up as they go along. They don't even have a pre-formatted set of questions, let alone anything to put in front of um, the prospective candidate. This is a much more structured interview process. And at a bare minimum, it'll at least give you a framework for the process. The last piece beyond scorecard, source, and select is sell or selling. And specifically, this is selling the organizational fit for that particular candidate, um, you know, how they fit into the organization, why you feel that they fit, and making sure that from their lens, they do see themselves as being a good fit for the organization. It doesn't matter how great a, a skill set they may have or potentially a great way they could be. If they're a bad fit for the organization, they're a bad fit that, and they're not going to work out. Beyond that, having a developmental plan and allowing that prospective employee to be able to visualize success. You hear us talking about onboarding a lot. Uh, and this is part of that sales process that Smart and Street talk about in terms of developmental plan and visualizing their success. And the times to do it, the, the times to be a sales rep 
is when you are making the offer, the period between when they accept the offer and the start date and a hundred up to a hundred days after the start date. Again, we think that just because somebody accepts the offer that we put in front of them, that we have the liberty to, to stop selling them on the merits of the organization at that point. And nothing could be further from the truth. That's actually where you're at your greatest level of jeopardy. I hear all too often from people that, yeah, I had so-and-so that accepted my offer and then they called me the morning they were supposed to show up and said that they weren't going to be able to, to come because of X, Y, and Z reasons. And if you're not selling the merits of the position and the company in between their acceptance, their start date, and up to 100 days after they've started, you're really missing the boat. Again, this is a, this is a book that really does unpack a lot. And it gives you um, guidance at a tactical level on how to approach a hiring process. I can't recommend it highly enough. We we use it at Polaris. I mean, that's a, about as good an endorsement as I can uh, I can tell you there. The second book that I mentioned is by Pat Lencioni, and it's called The Ideal Team Player. And I, I think this came out maybe about 2015 or so. So it's about five or six years old, I guess. And as I mentioned. Uh, he's a he's a really good writer, and usually um, his books have a, a fable or a story um, that is an easy read um, to illustrate the point. And this one is a fable about a, um, a, a, a the founder of a construction company and his I think nephew that joins the company to to replace him, and what the the nephew finds when he gets there. Um, and, and suffice to say, a lot of the challenges around uh, entering that company and taking over for his uncle uh, center around personnel management, um, the people process, right? And they go through a process of identifying what they call the three virtues uh, for an ideal team player. And if you think about your organization's group dental practices, team player means a lot. So the three virtues that Lencioni uh, uh, goes into much greater depth in the second half of the book are the following, humble, hungry, and smart. And those three really are pillars of a true team player. So humble, they define as having low ego, they defer, uh, somebody who's humble defers credit to the team. And in general, they, they act with a lot of humility. Hungry is somebody who's always looking for more and, and never has to be pushed or prodded from uh, a superior standpoint. Um, these are people that are um, internally motivated, but internally motivated for the benefit of the business and the team, not internally motivated um, individually at the expense of others, but from a more of a collaborative nature. And then the last is smart. And we're not talking about intelligence or book smarts here, but rather how to deal with people and how to communicate and how to use good judgment. So if you think about humility and being humble and then hungry and being driven and then smart from an interpersonal dynamics, you can really start to see how these three virtues do make up what we would consider to be an ideal uh, team player. And it's probably a great way for you to look at your existing employees and adding new employees through the lens of, of those three virtues, humble, hungry, and smart. Um, and they, he also, uh, Lencioni also goes through 
um, a nice kind of a dissecting of the three characteristics. And, and he talks about obviously what they are independently, but also what it looks like if one or two of them is missing and how to spot it within employees. Uh, and I think that's an interesting kind of a look at it. If you're, if you're missing one or God forbid, two of the three, uh, what that usually ends up be meaning to you as the leader of the business. Um, and then obviously, much like in the uh, prior book, uh, Who the A Method for Hiring, Lencioni gives you a, a good number of lines of questioning around those three virtues. So between um, Who the A Method for Hiring and the ideal team player, this ought to help you to formulate an interview process and a script for you and your leadership team when it comes to building a process around recruiting um, and interviewing and finding uh, the right people to, uh, to join your team. The third book that I mentioned um, by Dan Sullivan is called Who Not How. And again, Dan is a business coach uh, and, and the name of their company is, uh, name of his company is called Strategic Coach. Um, and he works with uh, high level entrepreneurs um, and has been doing this uh, for, geez, about 25 years now, I would guess. I've been part of their um, coaching uh, program for about the last three years. Uh, I will link to this off of um, the show notes because this book, Who Not How, is downloadable in PDF off of their website. He also just wrote a longer uh, version of the book with Dr. Benjamin Hardy that is also called Who Not How, and you can find that on Amazon. Um, but the the overview of Who Not How is from an entrepreneur's mindset. Um, and all too often, we as entrepreneurs and business leaders, as we're building growing organizations, come up with a goal or a, a project or something that we're focused on. And the first question is, well, how am I going to accomplish this? How am I going to get this done? Uh, and the premise of the book here is to shift your mindset and instead ask yourself, who knows how to do it for me? Who can I enlist the support of to help me accomplish this project? And this is all about leverage and, and human capital leverage specifically, bringing in greater skill sets into your organization or at a minimum into your network if you're not employing them. So when you start thinking about how to build a better business and, and maybe the opportunities at hand where um, you're not performing at a high level or where you see that there's a great opportunity to create competitive advantage, Instead of looking introspectively at yourself on how you're going to accomplish that, think who you know, who you network with, uh, and who might be able to help you get that done um, faster, better, and potentially uh, with less expense. At the end of the day, this is all about accelerating your learning curve and expanding your network circle. And those are really key aspects of being a, an entrepreneur like everyone in our audience is. And, and building a, a bigger, better business. I'll tell you that the, the way they unpack it in the book um, is that the, the how process is a really lonely path, essentially. That's self-directed and individual almost. Who, thinking about things in terms of who, is much more collaborative. And that is a, um, a mindset shift that is rewarding in terms of abundance 
um, uh, and unbelievably gratifying and fulfilling at the same time. Um, the last piece I'll say on this, and, and again, I will link to this in the show notes, is that um, when you're thinking about, uh, you know, defining the opportunity for someone, your who, in other words, being clear about what the opportunity is and the way that you see it in terms of how you categorize success is of paramount importance. There are far too many times when a business leader and an entrepreneur has a great idea and they see it in their mind and then they try to communicate it to a subordinate or to somebody else and there's a disconnect between the two. What the person hears is not what you were intending to say. And we end up with frustration and ultimately failure. Strategic coach has a, they call them thinking tools, but one of their thinking tools is something called an impact filter. An impact filter forces the person with the idea to outline the idea um, succinctly, but clearly, and then create the success criteria. Meaning if, if this idea comes to life and, and we achieve it, um, then what does success look like? What's the ideal outcome? Um, and then that, that impact filter tool is really the key to, to communicating between your idea and the person, the who in this case, that you are going to pass the idea off to or work collaboratively with them um, to its success. And, and I think the impact filter is a, is a critical piece to this, um, not only just from the who, not how aspect of the book uh, that Dan wrote, but also as you think through potentially how you communicate to your leadership team and certainly your subordinates, getting clear on what those expectations are and defining success uh, is really um, all too often half the battle um, so that somebody can understand more clearly what you're saying. The last book, the fourth book here uh, that I mentioned before is called Ownership Thinking uh, by Brad Hams, Ownership Thinking. A number of you in the audience have read this book I know that because we've recommended that you read this book and, and we tell clients about it uh, quite often. And this is really a book um, that is geared around incentive plans and how to shift employees and the employee mindset out of that entitlement mode. I know that a lot of you struggle with this. Um, I've heard it from you personally. Um, and, and I know that um, in today's employment world, uh, if we're able to overcome the entitlement attitude uh, and get the A players in the, the right seats, then we can create a, a bigger, better business that has greater prospects for, for faster future growth, obviously. So Hams's book um, starts off with the principle uh, by a, a philosopher, I guess, um, named Abraham Maslow. Uh, a number of you probably remember from um, high school and college, something called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Um, and Abraham Maslow um, studied the human condition a lot. And he's got a, a quote that says, the only people I know are the, the only happy people I know are the ones who are working well at something they consider to be important. Happy people 
working well at something they consider to be important. That's the fulfillment side. Yeah, we all get paid to do what we do. None of us do it for free, but something they consider to be important means that they find value in their craft and the role that they perform. So as Brad Hams goes through the book, they've got a couple of different components to this. The first is obviously the right employees. We talked about that uh, from the A method of hiring and the ideal team player aspect. The second piece is the right incentives. The third piece is the right education. And the fourth piece is the right measures. And this book does a really good job of giving very specific examples, even across different industries um, that are that are very numbers driven, which is probably why the Walker and I like the book so much. It's highly analytical in nature. Um, but as you get into as you get beyond the right employees and you get into the right incentives, there are a couple of pieces that he goes through that are very specific that I think will help you. Uh, one, he talks about any incentives must be self-funding. They must be self-funding. And what that means is they got to improve the company first. The employees don't come before the company. The company comes first and the health of the company is of paramount importance. For it to be uh, instrumental to an employee or to really uh, to have the incentive get their attention and be worth pursuing, it's probably going to end up being somewhere around 8 to 12% of their total wages. So, you know, 10% falls right in the middle there. Um, they should obviously be stretch goals, meaning that it shouldn't be easily attained, um, but they, the employee should feel like they got to they gotta reach to get there. Uh, and then it should the, the payout should be only above a certain threshold. And we've talked about this a lot with our associate equity models, and you hear that uh, frequently from, um, from our, our cadence in terms of what we try to communicate. But those stretch goals above a threshold means that the company generates its number first, and then the employee is the beneficiary um, thereafter uh, of some percentage, obviously. Um, and then the last piece is like the frequency. Um, you can do incentive plans on a monthly basis, which I think is too frequent. Um, you can do them on an annual basis, which I don't think is frequent enough. Uh, or you can do them on a quarterly basis. And and I'll tell you from my personal experience, I really feel that quarterly incentives are um, are the best way to go. And I would also tell you to, to um, allow for something called a catch-up or a true-up. And what I mean by that is if you're setting a, an incentive plan for an employee, let's say, let's say the goal is a million dollars for the year, just to use a round number and it's broken down equally by quarter, million dollars in revenue over the course of a 12 month period, which is $250,000 per quarter. Let's say the employees hit the, the goal uh, in quarter number one, they get some type or they exceed the goal, excuse me, they get some type of an, a payout in quarter one, uh, they hit the goal or exceed the goal in quarter two, they get some type of a payout in quarter two, and then they miss in quarter three. Maybe they only go 200,000 out of the 250,000. In quarter four, they have the opportunity to fill the hole that they left in quarter three. So if the company makes the total number or exceeds the total number for the year, 
you would pay them out for that last quarter and you would pay them out in this case for the third quarter that they missed. So it really allows the employees to, to make up for a miss as long as they have time to do it. Um, and it means that the, the business can still hit its annual number, even if you have to ha- even if you happen to have a down quarter in terms of overall performance. I really like that catch up provision um, because it, it keeps people engaged for the entire year. But that's kind of personal philosophy, I guess. Um, beyond the right employees and the right incentives, they mentioned the right education. This is all about teaching them how the business works at a, at a higher level. Uh, without making it overwhelming to them. Sometimes people share too many numbers with employees and and they tend to glaze over and um, end up with a a situation where they um, uh, are overwhelmed uh, with the the vast uh, amount of numbers and and it becomes something that they detach from. So I think that's something worth consideration that you don't want to overwhelm employees and obviously, you want to make sure that they understand things like the difference between profit and cash. Um, the last thing is the right measures, KPIs versus financial statements. Um, and uh, you know, when we talk about financial statements, um, you know, those are those are looking in the rearview mirror. That's historical in nature. KPIs are more predictive indicators. And they're more forward-looking, and I think that's the key thing when you start setting um, uh, any type of an incentive um, plan. Um, you want to make sure that it's based on predictive nature and, and predictive KPIs that forecast where the business is going to be, not where it's been historically, um, and and that ensures your future growth and viability for success overall. Um, so. Uh, they they go through again unpacking a lot of these types of KPIs across different industries, and it's a very analytically driven, um, data oriented type of a, a a book. And again, that's probably one of the reasons that we like it so much. So, I, I hope those four books, taken um, in, in sequence, if you will, do help clarify um, and help you build a system or a process around your people management and hiring. Um, the four books, once again, are Who, The A Method for Hiring by Jeff Smart and Randy Street, uh, The Ideal Player Team Player by Patrick Lencioni, Who, Not How by Dan Sullivan, and Ownership Thinking by Brad Hams. If you have time to pick up copies of those and read them somewhat in sequence, but think about them in terms of using them together, I, I think you'll get a lot out of it. The last thing I'll tell you, sort of a closing comment here around this subject, um, is that uh, there was the CEO, the former CEO, and one of the founders of Southwest Airlines who passed away a couple of years ago, named Herb Kelleher. He was he was a crazy man. I mean, the the guy. There've been books written about him and the Southwest culture and all of that. Um, that's really a, a case study in business and and really, um, uh, you know, Kelleher was a, a very very bright light. And um, unfortunately, we lost him a couple of years ago, but he had a, a saying, which was hire for attitude, train for skill and fire for effect. And what he meant by that was all too often we're looking for a skill and that's the reason we hire somebody. They can do the job. A lot of times, I mean, if you're a, if you're looking for an associate dentist, yes, you got to hire for skill, but um, they got to be able to, to perform the work. Right. That's an obvious. but if you put attitude ahead of skill, 
attitude goes a long way in terms of this A player mentality and really building a culture. And I think that's critical. And then his third component is fire for effect, meaning every now and again, you got to make an example out of people in terms of why you're terminating them uh, and send a message to the rest of the team. I've always uh, kept those three components, hire for attitude, train for skill, fire for effect in the back of my mind in terms of uh, the, the years that I was in leadership positions in business. Hope that helps. Hope you've enjoyed um, this first of what will be many book reports. I'd love to hear more from y'all uh, in terms of the books that you're reading. I'm always adding books to my personal reading list. I feel like it's a mile long. Feel free to shoot me an email at Perrin at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. Love to pick up some more recommendations. Uh, and suffice to say, the next uh, book report we do will be another comprehensive look at a, a subject matter, and hopefully you'll get a lot out of that one too. Stick around. We'll be right back to wrap up the show. Well, I hope you all found the uh, book report to be um, something useful, and I hope that broadened some of your horizons and gave you some more reading material before we end up uh, uh, close up the summer here. Before we wrap up today's show, I wanted to give a shout out to um, Brian Kaleo um, of the Dykema Law Group out of Dallas and his entire team, uh, DeWalker and uh, Aiden and Amy and I attended the uh, Dykema 8th Annual Definitive DSO Conference last week in Denver. And um, it was it was quite a show. I want to say there were probably about 1,300 people there. It actually felt like more than that. But Brian and his team put on an unbelievable event. And I think this was, to my knowledge at least, the first large-scale event um, since, the, uh, since COVID hit. Um, the education that they shared, a lot of the panels, um, really uh, were tremendous. Uh, everybody I talked to had great things to say about it, and the event itself really um, was was class A. So shout out to Brian and all the guys and gals on his team for a, a job well done. On the something new, noteworthy, and cool front, um, I flew back from Denver from that conference, got in late Friday night, uh, and then woke up very early Saturday morning to ride my bike in a, uh, a cancer charity fundraiser uh, called the 24 Hours of Booty. And this was uh, uh, the 20th annual event. This is something I've done for about the last nine years or so. I'm really fortunate that I have a lot of people who sponsor me and give donations um, to the event. And it's uh, an event targeted at cancer survivorship and navigation. Um, for people going through cancer treatment. Um, it was started 20 years ago by a gentleman named Spencer Luters. And Spencer um, is a, uh, a former racer, bike racer, uh, who had a friend who was stricken with cancer. And, and in an effort to help that friend, he said, I'm going to try to ride my bicycle for 24 hours if people will give me money uh, in terms of sponsoring my friend to help them with their cancer treatments. So this was one man on a mission to ride his bike 24 hours in hopes of gaining donations to help a friend. And a lot of the people on his um, cycling team came out to support him and pace him around. Uh, riding a bike for 24 hours is, is a long, long time, obviously. 
and he did it mostly continuously. Um, so that started a movement. Um, the next year, there were more people that came out with uh, to support Spencer and to, to help with uh, uh, cancer navigation and survivorship endeavors. Uh, and the event has really built upon itself. And um, it, like I say, this is the 20th year of it um, being an event here in Charlotte. Uh, there are probably well over a thousand riders um, that come out for it and raise money for it. The event itself raises probably about one and a half million dollars for cancer navigation and survivorship every year. Um, and Spencer has become a friend of mine. I've, I've gotten to know him pretty well. Um, he's an entrepreneur here in Charlotte, doesn't really have anything to do with healthcare or dentistry. Um, he's an attorney by trade, but owns a couple of different businesses and, and is involved in a heck of a lot. He's an interesting individual, and I admire him. I, I really, this is one of those types of events where you talk about what, what difference can one person make? Um, this is one that I always fall back on that says uh, one person can make a an unbelievable amount of difference. Uh, and it's up to all of us individually to find uh, something like that to, to motivate us to latch on to um, and, and to hopefully produce uh, greater outcomes for other people. And being part of that cycling event um, for me each year is uh, it's a little bit of a rite of passage. And it also kind of grounds me in terms of who I am, what I'm about, and and the ability to hopefully bring uh, some help to other people. So as you consider um, philanthropic endeavors or just things that you spend your time and effort on, I, I felt like this was a, a really um, uh, a neat story to share with the audience. And, and I hope that all of you are able to find an endeavor like that that moves you the way that the 24 Foundation moves me. So today's episode was a, a lot of fun for me, actually. Um, I, I enjoy sharing a lot about the, uh, the books that I read and the people I know and, and things that move me in life. And I, I hope you got a lot out of it, obviously. If you did, please do leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. If you got questions, you know you can submit them to me directly at Karen at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. I'll even read and try to answer them in an upcoming episode. And of course, you can find out more about us on our website at www.polarishealthcarepartners.com. Thanks so much for being a listener and a subscriber. We'll see you on the next episode.